In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. With the healing of division, with the ceaseless voice of prayer, with the power to love and witness, with the peace beyond compare, come, Holy Spirit, come. I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad to be part of such a wonderful occasion of all these people being confirmed and received and reaffirming their faith and those who are gathered around to witness that moment in the life of this parish and of God's church. There are um, scattered out in front of me a lot of folks who have uh, white stoles on. I'm assuming that means that you're going to be confirmed. Um, and uh, there are other people in the parish hall and other people watching at home. And all of us are proud of you and I'm looking forward to what you're going to do with God's church when you become the clergy and the vestry uh, and the leadership of this parish and, and of the diocese. Jesus tells a story that I have never liked. They're having a big wedding. The bridesmaids all wait for the bridegroom. Apparently they're going to make their entrance with him when he gets to wherever the wedding is. Five of them are wise and bring extra oil for their lamp. Five of them are foolish and skip that part. The groom is delayed. And the word comes, he's on his way, and the five wise bridesmaids light their lamps. And the five less wise bridesmaids don't have any oil. And they say, hey, could you pop me some oil? And these wise but kind of mean-spirited bridesmaids say, nope, none for you. Too bad. Go buy some. I've always had a hard time with that part. Those five wise but kind of mean-spirited bridesmaids. And the story goes on. The, the five foolish bridesmaids go buy oil, get their lamps working, come to the big party and the bridegroom says, nope, I don't know you. You're too late. Too bad for you. At a previous, when I was a priest at some parish in Mississippi, I told the congregation, I don't like this story. And I don't like it because they're mean to these five foolish bridesmaids, and yes, I identify with those five foolish bridesmaids who were not prepared. And the person, one of the people in the congregation came up later and said, I bet you always felt bad for Elmer Fudd, too. I bet you felt sorry for Wally Coyote every time he got smacked by the roadrunner. You're missing the point. You're missing the point of the story. I don't think that Jesus is in any way saying that the kingdom of God is reserved for wise people who are prepared, or else I would surely be lost. The point of the story is, be ready. Be mindful. 
Be alert. Look up. Look up from all the everyday crazy. Look toward God. I want to tell you a story that I might have told you before. Um, and I, I'm vain enough to think that if you've heard it before, you might remember it. So this might be boring for you, but just in case, let me tell you. This is kind of, um, this is a, this a, a central story for me. When I was 15 years old, I was about this tall and really thin, had dark hair, um, was goofy and shy and awkward. A friend of mine talked, in, talked me into going to summer camp for the first time. My brother and both my sisters had been campers at the Episcopal Church camp in Mississippi where we were growing up. But being goofy and shy, I didn't want to go to summer camp, and I never did, until my friend told me that if I went and was a counselor at camp, I would, would not have to cut the grass for a whole week. At that point, I was cutting our grass and our neighbor's grass and my aunt's grass. And so skipping a week sounded like a good deal to me. It's funny the things that will change your life. So I went to camp. The campers were the third and fourth grade boys and girls. I was in a cabin full of third and fourth grade boys. A lot of energy, a lot of silly. And in the middle of that, I found myself being part of a community in a way that I had never been before. I wasn't there because I was my brother's little brother, because I was my mama's boy. I was there because I was who I was, and, and it was okay. At the age of 15, it was finally okay for me to be who I am. It made a huge difference for me. Somewhere toward the end of that session, they began to talk about another session that was coming up later in the summer, a summer for a session for people with mental and physical disabilities, a special session, they called it. And the people who had been there before told stories about the campers who were there. They told a story about a camper named Marion, a guy, Marion who didn't catch a fish, but the guy next to him caught a fish, and Marion got so excited about it, he took the fish and, and bit it. <laughs> bit it so hard that the scales came out in Marion's mouth. The guy that told me the story said that the fish was trying to swim away as Marion was holding the fish in his mouth. They told another story about a guy named Art who lived in a wheelchair. He said one arm was kind of crumpled up, but the other arm was as big as your leg. And if you got too close, he'd reach out and grab you. And then they would say, would you like to come and be a counselor? <laughs> no, of course not. Who would do that? But then one of the people that were there for the whole summer, Jane Nell, who worked at the pool and was in college and was fair to look upon, asked me if I would be willing to be a counselor, and I heard myself say, yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> I was powerless before her. So I went home and told my mom and dad that I wanted to go back in a couple of weeks for the session with 
for people with mental and physical disabilities? My mom said, oh, key. There are a lot of stories in my family that include the words, oh, key, in there somewhere. And my dad said, you'll never make it. You're too soft. You won't make it through the whole week. And being 15 years old, by golly, I was going to prove him wrong or die trying. So I went to the session. I saw some people that I knew. They started talking about the campers who were going to come. And the more they talked, the more I got scared. And eventually they assigned the campers. And my camper was a guy named Neil, who lives in a wheelchair, has cerebral palsy, doesn't talk, uh, points to letters and words on a communication board. Needs help getting dressed, needs help eating, needs help in the bathroom. And I was scared to death. And I had a terrible thought that my dad was probably right, that I could not actually do this. One of the guys that I'd known in the session before came over and said, who'd you get? I said, Neil. He said, oh, he'll take good care of you. I said, I don't know if I can do this. He said, I'll tell you what. Campers are coming tomorrow. You stay until this time tomorrow. If you can't do it, I'll drive you home myself. My camper was the last one to arrive down from below Natchez, Mississippi. It was a long drive. His mother got out and told me about I'm in the bathroom and how to behave when it's meal time and how to dress somebody else. The first thing that we did because Neil was late was had supper. We had spaghetti with meat sauce. I remember it clearly because at the end of the whole thing, the, he was covered with spaghetti and meat sauce and I was and the table was and the floor was. And, and I'd never laughed so hard in my life. He taught me a lot about how to drive a wheelchair and how to take care of somebody else. He taught me a lot about dignity and respect. A few days went by. I told my friend that I know I didn't need to go home. I said, I got this. The last full day of the session came and it was raining real hard. We were all inside the rec hall together, kind of a big screened-in porch. And there were people over here uh, playing dodgeball in a, in a room full of 120 people. And some people over there trying to sing and play the guitar. Somebody was playing ping pong, people just hanging out. I was just hanging with my friend Neil because all the pretty girls came up and talked to Neil and I just kind of leaned into it. Somewhere in there, Neil needed um, something, water or ice or a paper towel or I don't remember what it was. But I, I stood up and looked at all these people 
white folks and black folks and old folks and young folks and rich folks and poor folks, all kinds of folks. And it occurred to me that it was much more trouble than it is actually worth to sort everybody out into their proper categories. That all these folks are just the children of God. You're not more a child of God if you're the quarterback. You're not less of a child of God because you drool on yourself. And it occurred to me that this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. That's pretty heavy stuff for a 15-year-old kid. So I went back the next year and the next year. Then I was on the staff that stayed for the whole summer for a few summers. And then I went off to seminary and came back and was asked to direct that session. And every time I directed that session in Mississippi for 11 years, I told the story about when I was 15 years old and about that tall and real skinny. And how I saw the kingdom of God. And then we moved to Alabama, and in a few years we started a session like that at Camp McDowell, which was real scary because nobody knew what I was talking about. But it worked, and we're still doing it every summer. And every time I'm there, I tell that same story. I've told that story a thousand times at least. A few years ago, a 16-year-old girl came up and said, did anybody else see it? What? Did anybody else see the kingdom of God? Oh. I don't know. It's not like we sat around later talking about how we all saw the kingdom of God on a rainy day outside of Canton, Mississippi. I'm sure it touched a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But it really touched me so much that it has a lot to do with making me who I am. Did anybody else see it? Neil needed a paper towel or a cup of ice or something, and I stood up and looked at the children of God. And that's when I saw it. I didn't mean to be prepared. I didn't mean to be open to the experience. It just sort of happened. Jesus tells a story that I don't particularly like to invite you to look up from your life to look for the hand of God in the people that you love and in the people that you don't. To be open to the graces and gifts of God all around us all the time. Now there is a strong chance, I suppose, that you may be sitting here or in the parish hall or at home thinking, I wish this guy would hush so we could move on. I'm kind of ready for that moment myself. 
And you may think that this is just, you know, sort of what preachers say. Maybe so. But I want you to know that the hand of God is at work all around you all the time if you can just stop with all the busyness, with all the silliness, the everyday madness, and look for it. We are so sort of set up to make lists of all the things we want to gripe about. I got a list. We all have lists. And we enjoy rehearsing those lists over and over and over. I'm not saying those things aren't there. I'm just saying that's not all there is. There's also beauty. There's also grace. There's also love. There's also forgiveness and hope. I think the world will be a better place if you and I will allow ourselves to live in hope to look for grace, to shine the light of Christ, to be ready for God to touch us in our lives. I am about to um, retire as the Bishop of Alabama. And so I have given myself permission to say whatever I want to say. What I want to say is that Christianity is fundamentally an idealistic enterprise. Christianity is about the ideals we have received from Jesus Christ our Lord. It's hard to fit ideals into the real world. It's a struggle. Jesus says love everybody automatically we start thinking of all the people that we can't love. Jesus said, love your enemies. You and I don't really have any enemies, but we have people that we don't like a whole lot. Love them. And if someone offends you, forgive them. Peter said, as many as seven times? That would be a lot to forgive somebody seven times, don't you think? Jesus said 70 times seven times. It's hard to fit idealism into the world that you and I live in. But that's our job. That's why you're being confirmed. That's why there is a church. So that you and I can shine the light of, the, of Christ into the darkness. So that you and I can invite people into the love of God for all of the children of God. What I want to tell you is that God loves you. Just like you are. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to be thinner. You don't have to be taller. You don't have to be younger. You don't have to be richer. You don't have to be anybody but who you are, a child of God.
what I want to tell you is that there's nothing that you have ever done and nothing that you can ever do that will put you outside of the love of God. God is not going to say, okay, that's, that's it. This guy's out. We're done with him. Any more than your mama loves you. God loves you all the time. No matter what. Forever and ever. And our response, weak and frail and inconsistent as we are, is to remember sometimes to look up from all the little stuff that we're concerned about all the time and look for God and look for love and look for ways that we can live our lives within the ideals that Jesus brought to us. I'm pretty sure I will stop preaching in a few minutes. Always have before. Um, and then we'll continue with the service of confirmation. And I will ask you what um, is a startling question if you think about it. Do you believe in God? Really and truly. And cutting through all the other stuff and how cool it is to be cynical and all that. Do you believe in God? The answer is written in your booklet, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. You don't have to make anything up. But I, I encourage you to think about what you're saying. Do you believe in God the Son? Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? We'll go through the, the ancient Apostles' Creed in kind of a question and answer way. And then I will invite you to think about what we're going to do about that. Five difficult questions. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, will you continue to be part of a community of faith? Will you continue to do what you need to do to make that community keep going and keep doing what we've been given to do? Will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? Every time you fall into sin, every time you're mean or selfish or you disregard the feelings of somebody else or do something you're not supposed to do, can you turn away from that and turn back toward loving and serving God? Will you proclaim the good news of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Not just the priest, not just the deacon, not just the bishop, but you. Will, will you live your life in such a way that people will say, that person lives in hope. That person's looking for good. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? All persons. That's a lot of persons. Will you seek and serve God in all of them? And when you don't, will you go back to the second question and return to the Lord?
and strive for justice and peace among all people. And respect the dignity of every human being, not because they deserve respect, but because they are children of God, just like you are. And I tell you, if we do all those things, our lives will not be the same. And the lives of those among whom we live will be changed forever. Congratulations again to those who are being confirmed and received and reaffirming their vows. I hope you take it seriously. I hope you live your lives in faith and in joy and in hope and in love and the assurance of the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.